1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 and 14 says, Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. So what does Paul mean when he calls these Christian men to act like men? What sorts of thoughts and images should that bring to mind? And that question has been the diving board for this sermon series. And we have jumped off and landed in answers like this. All men have been created men by God. All men are image bearers of God. All men are designed and built to lead, to love, to protect, to provide. And for the last couple of weeks, we have followed this godly man into the home where he is a covenant head, taking responsibility, sacrificial responsibility for his wife and for his children. This morning's sermon, the final sermon in this series, begins by saying that home is not the only place a godly man will find himself. Home and family is, of course, very important, but it is not the only place, men, that God sends you. Godly men must also be found in the church and in society. Godly men must also be found not just in the home, not just with the family, but in the church and in society. So, men, these are the circles that you are a man in. You are a man in your family. You are a man in the church. You are a man in society. And you have responsibilities there. In your home, you have responsibilities In your church, you have responsibilities. In society at large, you have responsibilities that we'll look at together. And then after this morning looking at what a godly man looks like in church and in society, we will conclude this sermon and the entire series with a challenge. A challenge to cultivate biblical manhood in men yourself and for all of us in the boys around us to cultivate biblical manhood. I was thinking that it is ironic that it is Mother's Day today and I'm preaching a sermon on manhood. But maybe not. Maybe not. Moms, if you have boys, this is the kind of man you want your boys to grow up and be. Moms, if you have girls, this is the kind of man that you want your little girl to grow up and marry. So I think it's helpful 
not just for the husbands, fathers, men who are here today, but also moms. Before I preach this sermon, we should pray together. Please bow your heads with me. Our Father in heaven, we ask as we open up your word that you would feed us. We know that we don't live on food alone, but that we live on every word that comes from your mouth. And so as we consider what your word has to say today about manhood in the church and in society, will you help us to hear from you, help us to apply what we hear for our good, most importantly, for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So about 40 years after Israel's dramatic rescue from Egypt, Joshua stands ready to lead the Israelites into the land that God had promised them. And it will not, for those of you who know the story, it will not be entered easily. It will be a bloody conquest. And so God prepares Joshua with these words that Jeff read a few minutes ago. Joshua chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. Be strong. Be courageous. Be obedient. Is what God has to say to Joshua. Men, we need to be strong. We need to be courageous. We need to be obedient. That has always been the call for us as men. To be strong. To be courageous to be obedient and we've looked at obedience in a man's role as husband and father but what does what does a godly man look like an obedient manly godly man look like in the church and what does he look like in society so part one a manly churchman? Or what does a godly man look like in the church? Now, please remember this is just an overview. Nothing that has been said in this series is meant to be exhaustive. There's so many things that we could say, so many good things, so many biblical things. So this is an overview. In other words, this is not what we're going to look at now. This is not all that a godly man is in the church. But nevertheless, he is at least these three things. And to make it easier, I'm going to borrow from the way I challenged fathers last week. Remember fathers? Number one, be there. Number two, be there and be engaged. And number three, speak up. 
Same in the church. And we'll see same in society. Men, we need to be there. We need to be engaged. And we need to speak up. Number one, be there. Godly men will be in the church. And godly men will not be in the church as spectators or consumers. Godly men will be in the church as committed members. Committed members. So, they won't be at one church or no church on Sunday mornings and another church on Sunday evenings and another church on Wednesday night and maybe another church virtually online all week. Some men are a part of so many churches. They're a part of different churches physically and a part of different churches virtually. Listening to so many pastors throughout the week. That may be, that may be flirting with a church. That may be taking advantage of a church rather than committing to a church. And as men, we should not flirt with a church. We should not take advantage of a church as just a spectator or a consumer. We should commit to her. Christian men, you are a member of the church. You are the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. And individual members of it. So that's what we are as men. Women too. But as men this morning, we are individual members, 1 Corinthians 12, of the body of Christ. And listen, this membership in the body of Christ is expressed through membership in a local church. So the way that that gets worked out, the way that that gets expressed, membership in the body of Christ, is through a commitment to a local church. In other words, you cannot be a member of Christ's church. In other words, a Christian. Man. You cannot be a Christian and function biblically without making a commitment to a specific body of believers or a specific household of faith, or a local church. You cannot read through the New Testament, men, and read of all of your obligations to God's people and do that somehow outside of a commitment to a local church. So real quick, let me say something here, just in the margin of this sermon. What I just said is not only true for men, it's also true for women. It is necessary for all of us as Christians to be committed to local churches. So here is 
something I'd like to say as I thought about this this week. If, if you have been here regularly attending for more than six months and you're not a member, will you please this week set up a time to meet with a pastor here? Would you please do that? If you've been here for more than six months, I'm making an assumption that there's something here that you like. So we would like to talk to you about what church membership looks like so that you can decide whether or not this is a church where you want to be a member. Because if not, we would want to encourage you to find a church where you can be a member. This is as simple as going to our website, veritasroseville.com, clicking on the Contact Us tab. It's as easy as that. So this afternoon, this evening, if you've been here for longer than six months, but you're not a member, would you please reach out so that we can talk about membership? So a godly man, back to this, a godly man will be a committed member. And as a committed member, he will be there. He will be there. He will be there for worship. He will be there for the meetings. He will be there for the brother who needs him. I would say that one of the most important things that you do as a man One of the most important things you do as a man, and especially as a husband and father, is to prioritize loving God by gathering with His people every Sunday, week in and week out, to worship through prayer and song and the reading and preaching of God's Word. What that says to the world and what that says to your wife if you're married, what that says to your friends, what that says to your children if you have them, cannot be overstated. That you would prioritize, number one, being there. Hebrews 10, 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near so here's a good rule just a house rule that maybe you would want to adopt here's a good rule when it comes to church men be there on time unless providentially hindered That's a good rule. There will be exceptions, but that is a very good rule. Be there on time, which is 10 a.m. Be there on time unless providentially hindered. Be there on time unless an act of God's providence keeps you from being there on time. An act of God's providence. That simply means something that is outside 
of your control. There will be circumstances that are outside of your control, like a flood. (laughs) If there's a flood. You know, it's kind of funny and my wife and I have talked about this, and I've talked about some of you others. In the wintertime here in California, when it's Sunday morning and it is raining, our attendance is always down. When it's raining, a flood, like you can't get here because there's a flood, sickness, you're out of town. Though that should be rare and avoided as much as you can. You're going to have those vacations and you're going to have those business trips and things like that. But again, it's a priority. I want to be there. Now let me give you some examples of things that that I would not, you wrestle with this for yourself, that I would not consider providential hindrance. A 49ers game is not providential hindrance. A sniffle is not providential hindrance. A sermon you do not think will be relevant to you is not a providential hindrance. A hangover is not providential hindrance. A fight on the way to church is not providential hindrance. Your child's sports game is not a providential hindrance. These are all choices we will make to prioritize something else over and above the worship of God with His people. If you say, men, if you say worship is important, mean what you say. Mean what you say. They will know what you mean by your actions. Be there, attend worship, attend the meetings, meet with other men as you are able. This is not a have to, this is a get to. So set the tone for those around you. Set the tone for those around you. Sunday should be your favorite day of the week. If it's not your favorite day of the week, try to make it your favorite day of the week and let everyone around you know that it is your favorite day of the week. This is as simple and as easy and as practical as being so cheerful in your home on Sunday morning. I know it's not always cheerful Sunday morning. Those of you with little children, Sunday mornings, I mean, there are impossible things that you're going to have to do. Like, leave the house. Like, get in a car. Like, sit still. You know, those of you with little kids, you, those are impossible tasks, and you've got to do it every Sunday. If you're not cheerful, if you're not joyful, your kids will know it's a have to. It's not a get to. There's going to be struggle. We've got to push through. Men, set the tone for those around you. So be there. Number two, be engaged. Be engaged. So if you are here, would people know that you are here? Is your presence registered in your church? As a member, men, make your membership felt by those who are part of your church. 
This, of course, transcends Sunday. This is more than just what we do on Sunday. Men, ask yourself, do you give yourself to your church? Do you serve in some way? Do you give your money? Do you give it consistently, sacrificially, and cheerfully? Do you know other men here? Are you mentoring other men here? Are you praying for people here? Those are very practical things to do. Now again, Sunday is a very important time to be engaged. It's not the only place. But this is a very important place to be engaged. We all have very busy lives. I don't want to, when people ask how I'm doing, I want to stop saying I'm busy. I've noticed that's always what I say. How are you doing? Busy. Just very busy. Busy doing good things. And, and everybody around me is always busy too. So it almost goes without saying these days. So we all are very busy. And we are, this is great. This is special. As busy as we are, we are all committed to gathering together every Sunday to worship our God. That is significant. With all that we have going on, we are committed to this. Sunday is a great day to be engaged. To be engaged in worship, men. To be engaged with your family if they're here and to be engaged with your church family. Think about each of those with me. Men, we should be engaged in worship. That is what we're here to do. Ask yourself, do you pray when our service leaders are praying? Are you praying with them in your heart? Do you prepare your heart for the worship of God on Sunday mornings? Maybe that starts Saturday night. Maybe it's Sunday morning. Do you concentrate on the sermon? Well, I, I do now. <laughs> do you have your Bible? Do you have your Bible with you? If we are, I've been convicted by this so many times, if I can be captivated by a three-hour football game on Sunday afternoon, but not an hour sermon in the morning. That does say something about me. I'm not saying that I'm the greatest preacher in the world, and I'm in an hour, it can be a long time sometimes. But to hear the Word of God opened up for an hour should be a pleasure, and it will be for a godly man. So we need to be engaged in worship. If your family is here, be engaged with your family. We've done a lot of things here at this church to give you many opportunities for that. Some of you have been in churches or come from a church just like I grew up in and were a part of. And, 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 and really, the worship service was an opportunity for, if you have a family, for husband and wife or mom and dad to send the kids somewhere for kids' church or youth church or children's church, whatever you call it. And then it was, it was like your time, almost like a date. 
And a lot of you were shocked. We've had conversations about this when you came here. I said, where do my kids go? Right there. It's good. Next to you. Oh, my. Next, for how long? Well, <laughs> how old are they? Seven and eight. And they're going to be with you the whole time. And I get it. If, if you're not used to that, that's, that's, it really is. That's a difficult thing to do. Now, that isn't how you were raised. And it, if you haven't helped people and other parents draw alongside you and help you learn how to train your kids to do that, it is such a difficult thing and such an important thing. And husbands and fathers, you play a significant role here. That is not your wife's job on Sunday morning. It's your job. It's your responsibility. Help your wife. Teach your children. Number three. So we're engaged in worship of God ourselves. We're engaged with our family. And then be engaged with your church family. Sunday is, again, especially knowing how busy many of you are, you're already here. It is a great opportunity to be engaged with your church family. Now, to do that, it does require, as you're able, to come early and leave late. But I know sometimes that's not realistic. But as you're able to come early and to leave late gives you an opportunity to engage with your church family. This is not a timeshare presentation. How long do I need to be there for it to count? This is not a timeshare presentation. This is an opportunity to worship God and to fellowship with one another. And so we're anxious and eager to be here. And as we're able, men... We should want to be here early and stay late so that we can engage, register our presence, be active with God's people. And number three, speak up. So it's be there, be engaged, and speak up. Do we hear you, men? Do we hear you? I'm not saying yell out in the middle of a sermon. Though some of you are comfortable doing that. Yeah, right, there it was. <laughs> but man, listen, speak up. Here's one. Do we hear you sing? Do we hear you sing? I did this morning. But ask yourself, do the people around me hear me sing? You know it's very important that the people around you hear you sing. If your family's with you, they should hear you sing. People in front of you should hear you sing. People behind you should hear you sing, especially if you're here as a man. It is important for God's people to hear you. Have you sing really quietly? And you may say things like, well, Jesus can hear me. <laughs> that is true. And you are here to sing to Jesus. But do you know this? Colossians chapter 3 makes it very clear that you are not just here on Sunday to sing to Jesus. You're here to sing to one another. That's what Colossians 3 verse 16 and following calls us to do. Think about it. You can sing to Jesus all week. You sing to him in your car. You, 
you have these times, devotion, whatever that looks like for you, and you sing to God. That's a wonderful thing to do. That is not what we're doing here. This is not a bunch of individuals individually worshiping God. This is a family together worshiping God. And the way Paul describes that to the Colossians is singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to one another. So in order to sing, this is it's being clear now, in order to sing to one another, we need to hear one another. So can we hear you sing? Or do we hear you, men, do we hear you after we pray? Do we hear you after we pray, men? How would we hear you after we pray? Amen. Amen. Do we hear you? Do you agree with what's being prayed? Are you praying with whoever it is that is praying? Then the way you affirm that, the way you agree with that, the way you register that is by saying, Amen. Men, if we do not say, think of it like this, if we don't say amen audibly at the end of a prayer, it is like staring at your wife after she says, I love you. There's something for you to say. And if you don't say it, that means something. So when we pray, men, do we say amen? When there is opportunity, do you pray out loud? When we do the congregational reading, do you read the congregational reading? Here, in your church, do people hear your words? Are they encouraged by you? Do they get confronted by you? I've known of cases in our church family where certain members are avoiding other members because they don't want to be confronted. I think that's wonderful. Not that they're avoiding but that they feel that. They know that someone loves them. Do you reach out to people? Do you speak with wisdom and discretion? Do you speak the truth in love? When there are new people here, do you welcome new people? Do you practice and extend hospitality? So trying to be extremely practical with this. Man, that is what it looks like to be a godly churchman. Commit to a local church, be there, be engaged, and speak up. So part two, how about a manly citizen? How about a manly citizen? After encouragement from at least two of our men here, I decided to include this. It is true as men that we are not only a part of our families. We're not only a part of our churches. We are, by God's grace, a part of cities and counties and a state and a nation as citizens. And as men, we have a responsibility as Christian citizens and specifically for Christian men to not only lead in our homes and churches, but in our nations as well. And I'm afraid that we have not done this very well. That we have not done this well. We can see, 
I would say the effect of weak men in our families, in our churches, and even in our nation. This is very important. As men, we should confess this and take responsibility for this and think deeply about this as godly men. What is our responsibility as citizens? Now, I am admittedly weak here. I am admittedly weak here, and I hope that changes, and I pray that, as in many areas, that my boys will far exceed their dad in this area specifically. But following our same pattern of application, men, when it comes to our role as Christian citizens, we must be there, we must be engaged, and we must speak up. So let me try and be equally practical with this. Number one, be there. So we must not retreat to our churches and our homes, which is much more comfortable. And a temptation, at least for me. We must not retreat into our churches and homes. We cannot isolate ourselves. We probably should not bunker down and disappear into Central America, Idaho, or Christian subculture. If we retreat, think about this, we won't be with and around and influencing change. We are, think of God's word, we are a city on a hill. Not a, not a city outside another city, far away from the bad city. We're a city on a hill, or we are the salt of the earth. We are to be a light to the world. We have been given a commission. We have been given a great commission. We have been given marching orders. And this all means something. So we have to, we have to be there. Number two, in addition to being there, we should be engaged. Be engaged. We are not passive citizens. We should not be passive citizens, but active citizens. It's not enough to just not retreat and be present. We need to be active. We need to be engaged. Let me suggest a few ways before we get to speaking up, that we can be engaged. Number one, be thankful. Be a thankful citizen. We should be exceedingly, I've been very convicted about this, we should be exceedingly thankful for our civil government. We should be exceedingly thankful for our civil government. And I don't think, and I've been a part of this, that that is commonly expressed by Christian men. It's more murmuring and grumbling 
and complaining. Are we thankful? Our civil government is from God. And it is for our good. We ought to be thankful. Civil law and civil officers are a blessing. And if they do their job well, they will protect law abiders from law breakers within and without. Paul says in Romans 13 verses 2 and following. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. So there it is. It's from God. Resist what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. Daniel says it is God who sets up these leaders and takes them down. Verse 3 of Romans 13. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he, these civil authorities, he is God's servant for your good. Now, he doesn't always, and most of the time in in, in our culture, would look like he doesn't know he's God's servant, but he is God's servant. And he is for our good. So we should be thankful. Being thankful is the opposite. Think about this. Being thankful is the opposite of murmuring and complaining. You cannot complain and be thankful at the same time. There's no thankful complaining. That doesn't mean we don't disagree with leaders. doesn't mean we don't disagree with policies and laws and judgments. But we disagree standing on a platform of gratitude. So this will be very practically expressed, this thankfulness, in how you speak about our leaders. If we're thankful, this will be expressed in how we speak about our leaders. We should speak the truth in love, and we should honor our leaders. They are from God. Do you remember David and Saul? Saul was an awful leader. And David honored him. 1 Peter 2.17 Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Or we could say, honor the president. So be thankful. Number two, be obedient. It's a way to be engaged be engaged, be obedient, Romans 13, 2. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. Verse 5, therefore, Christian, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Now, of course, we never break God's law to obey civil laws, but we ought to be law-abiding citizens, that is one way you are engaged as a Christian citizen. And number three, be thoughtful. Think. Think. So often in the past, I just have been intimidated by some of these ideas. 
by some of the national issues, international issues, local issues. But we must think. We should be informed. We should help inform others. We should know and understand as far as we can the issues locally, nationally, and internationally because we are here as citizens of this nation, but of Christ. And there's great responsibility, especially, especially this morning, I want to say to us men. So as citizens, be there, be engaged, and now finally, speak up. Speak up. What is your voice as a Christian citizen? Just an overview here. I know there are things I will not say. But let me make four suggestions. Four suggestions. How do we speak up? Number one, pray. Speak up. Speak to God. I would say first and foremost, speak to God about our nation, our state, our country, and city. He has appointed the leaders. They need our prayers. You could pray for your mayor, your city council, our judges, our county supervisors, our local and state law enforcement, our local and state representatives, our president and his staff. So many we can be in prayer for. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So number one, pray. Number two, preach. That's not just my job. In this formal setting, on Sunday morning, it is my job, a job I'm thankful for, a job that is an honor, but it is not merely my job to preach. We're all called to preach. We're called to know the gospel and to preach the gospel. We're called to know and internalize the good news of Jesus Christ and to speak that to others. Romans 10, verses 13 through 15. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. It is not enough, though it is popular to demonstrate the gospel as Christians. We need to declare the gospel. We need to speak up. This is a primary role of the Christian in any nation he finds himself in. According to Matthew 28, we are to be here in this nation making disciples, baptizing them, and teaching them to observe all of God's commands. We've been commissioned to this, so we must speak up. We must preach the gospel. Two more. Number three, 
you may have thought this would be first. Vote. Vote. We do have a Christian obligation to this. We should, this is the goal, we should elect godly, qualified leaders as able. We should elect godly, qualified leaders as able. Listen to this. Remember the advice that Jethro gave to Moses when Moses was trying to do way more than he possibly could. He needed other leaders. And this is the advice in electing these leaders, what kind of men. And Jethro told Moses in Exodus 18, 21, Moreover, look for able men. They can do the job. Able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. These are the kinds of leaders that we should long for. These are the kinds of leaders that we should vote for. Godly, qualified men. This past election, I don't know if you were, but I was surprised at how many Christians were so dogmatic about who the obvious candidate for your vote was. It was not that obvious. And I understand that people voted one way to keep someone out of office. A lot of Christians did that. I understand that. I really do. But according to Exodus 18.21, shouldn't we understand that there would be Christians in good conscience who would say that is not a godly, qualified leader and vote differently? We're just trying to think biblically. As godly men, trying to think biblically, this would be wonderful, and this is what we pray for. 2 Samuel 23, verses 2 and 4. The Spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, listen to this, when one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, so that's what we're after. That would be wonderful and will be someday. When one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. We're praying for God to raise up those kinds of leaders so that we can vote for those kinds of leaders and be ruled by those kinds of leaders. What a blessing. And finally, number four, Just consider other ways to get involved. I will post some suggestions tomorrow on our church blog. But this could be training up leaders. This could be running for office. This could be joining the military. This could be some other sort of strategic Christian involvement. But men, 
We have been built and designed by God to lead. To lead in our homes, to lead in our churches, to lead in our society. We ought to be there. We ought to be engaged. And we ought to speak up. So hopefully we now have a, a biblical understanding of what a, a manly man is, what a godly man looks like. Hopefully we understand what a godly man looks like in the home and in the church and in society. Man, this is what we're striving after. So in conclusion to this sermon and the entire series, I would like all the men here, young and old, to consider this. As we, as we wrap this up, all men, young and old, to consider this. Before you are a man before your wife and before your children and before your church and before your co-workers and before your neighbors and before your society, you are a man before God. First and foremost, you are a man before God. Here's what that means. You cannot set yourself to do these sermons and neglect your own soul. That's not what these sermons are meant to be. There's a big pile of rocks, thank you, pastor, that I'm putting on your back. Now go and do this. If you try and do all of this and neglect your own soul, you cannot do that. Who you are before you are a man, before anyone else, is you are a man before God. Nothing we have looked at Nothing we have looked at so far matters if you are not a Christian. None of it. None of this matters if you do not love God. I mean really love God. None of it will matter. If you try and take responsibility and lead your family, protect and provide and apply these principles that we have examined without a commitment to Christ, you will be whitewashing a tomb. That's what you'll be doing. In order to be a godly man and take responsibility for others, you must first take responsibility for yourself. You must first lead yourself. The very first thing a manly man must be is a man who knows God. A true man will know God. He will trust God. He will obey God. He will enjoy God. He will proclaim God. This really is true. Be that man. And in a sense, the rest of this entire sermon series will fall into place. If you are 
who you must be before God, then this is the man you will be. That's what we've been talking about. So please do not set out to doing without first being. If that is not settled for you this morning, settle it. If that is not settled for you this morning, settle it. Today. Confess your sin to God. Sin that may have been brought to your attention over the last several weeks. Confess your sin to God. Accept His forgiveness based on the shed blood of Christ. And commit yourself to life in His name. If you would like to talk to someone about this, I'll be here at the front of the sanctuary after our service. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, you have told us in your word that your word is a double-edged sword. And it can cut to us like no other words. So Lord, I pray that your word would do its work in our hearts today, especially for the men here. I pray that where there needs to be conviction, that they would feel great conviction, that there would be a broken and contrite heart in them. And then, Lord, I pray that they would have an overwhelming sense of confidence to do what you have called them to do if they would turn to Christ and keep turning to Christ every hour of every day. Please bless us as we obey you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.